You can go ahead and have a seat. Welcome again to the Capitol Church. Hopefully you have uh, heard that a number of times already this morning, but I want to continue to extend a welcome to you. Glad that you're here. Uh, For students in the room, um, I I want you to know that uh, something we've said uh, sometimes often, especially when we launched this church at the end of August of this year, that it was really a love for students that has compelled us to plant this church here, which means we honestly feel like Columbus is best when you guys are here. So it pains me to say that you're entering into a holiday break, much deserved, okay? You guys deserve the break, time away with family and friends and all of that, but we want you to know that we are already anxiously awaiting the day that you come back to Columbus, that you can come back to our city and back to our church. We're gonna miss you a ton, but it is finals week, so you're probably still in the middle of the grind, so we appreciate you being here. Um, But we want you to know that we love you and are gonna miss you a ton in the next month, but very excited for you to come back. Um, We also have, as a part of the Capitol Church, I don't know how familiar you are with this, but when you come in, uh, a lot of times there's a card that's on uh, your seat. Here's the reason we do that. It's called a Connect card. What we wanna do is always give you an opportunity to help us help you. And what I mean by that is we understand your story and your journey to either investigate the claims of Jesus. Maybe somebody invited you here. You didn't really wanna come. It seems weird that we sing songs and now you're supposed to sit down. Uh, We're gonna sing some more songs later, just a little bit of a heads up. But like whatever your story is coming in here, whatever journey you're on, whatever your background looks like, We know that it is not a one-size-fits-all type of journey. So for you, we don't want to just like try and press you into spaces that might be unhelpful for you in the end. And so the Connect card is our way of giving you an opportunity to kind of navigate a journey that we can step alongside of and help you to the best of our ability. So on the front, there's a QR code that you can fill out, general Connect card on the back, you're gonna find some different information about our church. One of the things I wanna highlight is our city groups. Now, if you're a student, um, Salt Company is the name of our college ministry. That's where we would absolutely press you to be. There's campus groups that are a part of Salt Company, but if you're not a student, we have city groups. City groups meet uh, throughout the week in different places. Uh, And we have, uh, really, this coming month is like a four-week break our city groups are going on. So I want to say two things as I highlight city groups. One is, city groups is the driving force of community here. Even though we're we're a brand new church, and this room doesn't feel very overwhelming, likely, um, it is still hard to journey forward in actual and genuine community in a room even this size. And so what city group is is for a group of people to just do life together and kind of journey forward in in the path of Christianity, if that's one that you're already a part of, or if you're investigating it, city groups is a very safe place for you to be. We're taking a break for city groups, which means starting in January, this is a really, really good on-ramp if you wanna do that. You're not gonna be behind, we don't go through curriculum. There's nothing you've missed other than incredible relationships, great food, in genuine community, but we want you to just like hop in. On-ramp is available for you to hop into a city group. Uh, the Connect card, even that, that uh, form that you have will help you navigate all of that. And if you have, have any questions, we would be uh, happy to journey forward with you in that. Now, we are on 
week two of three in a Christmas series. What we're doing for last week, this week, and next week, um, which by the way, December 26th, we will not be having church. So we have this week and next week to close out the year. Each week we're talking about one particular word that comes up often in the Christmas season and we think for good reason. What is true about this season is it's a lot of like gift giving and gift receiving. That's a, that's a great thing about what December is. Um, I have had in my life some great gifts and some bad gifts. I think um, the classic example of a bad gift for me um, is it, it actually wasn't even to me. I get to watch it every single year. My, my mom's mom, so my grandpa or my grandma on my mom's side, she had a thought that my brother loved black olives. I don't exactly know where she got it from, but every single Christmas, it was a very like significant gift. She would think it was very special. She would wrap him a can of black olives. She would give it to him on Christmas and he absolutely never liked it. Didn't even like black olives, unwrapped it and was super disappointed every time. I have gotten a gift. I can remember a couple years ago, I grew up right outside of Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, and there, I graduated college, started uh, running a student ministry, working for a church there in the area. And there was a really nice family uh, that, that had a couple kids in our youth group. And the kids were amazing. Uh, they came up to me on a Sunday morning and they gave me a little card. It had a nice little note in there and a $50 gift card to Outback. And so I thought, wow, that is incredibly generous. So I said to Shaylin, look, we can like go out to a nice meal, get a good steak, things are great. Uh, $50, when you walk into Outback, you're, you're pretty much a king. So I thought, we can actually invite some other people. So our friend who was Kyle, who was leading worship here and his wife, we invited them to come with us because the closest Outback was like 40 minutes away. So it was my opinion that we should just go to Outback this one time and just absolutely send it use the whole gift card instead of like go there and be reasonable and then go there a second time. It just seemed like too much of a hassle to go there twice. So we invite our friends on the way there. I'm like, listen, $50 gift card. You can get after it on the menu. So we sit down and the family I grew up in, if you order anything but water, our whole family would laugh because you were definitely kidding. Uh, it was like you go and it's very conservative type of order. It's a great gift to be able to go out to dinner. And so you're definitely getting a water. You're ordering pretty conservative. But for this time, we sit down and I'm like, strawberry lemonade, I'm for sure getting. Um, I'm saying to our friends, like, hey, get whatever you want. We're rolling in appetizers. No problem pushing the ounceage of the steak beyond what I need. Uh, and we have a great meal, great time. It comes time to pay. And the waitress comes over with the check and I say, hey, I've got a gift card. And she says, okay, um, why don't I take the gift card and I'll come back with whatever your bill is and then you can like pay the rest of the bill. And I'm like, great. So I, I hand her the gift card. She leaves and comes back and I look at the receipt and only like $4 and change was taken off the bill. And so I think to myself, okay, I don't know who's, who's to blame here. Um, so, so I say to the woman like, uh, I'm so sorry, but I thought that gift card was for 50. And she's like, it was for 50, but our records can like show that it had already been used. So there was like 45 and change already used from the gift card. And so there's only like $4 and something left. And so now I like turn to Shaylin, like, what have we done? This is an absolute disaster, paying all kinds of money. And what hit me is we roll into Outback feeling like kings when the actual reality is I have a gift card for like 485. 
Not a big deal. But the true situation was we didn't have a very significant gift card, but the behavior didn't represent that at all. What I wanna talk about here this morning, I think it's easy for us, whether you're, you're a follower of Jesus or not, what's easy for us is to have access to a really special life-changing truth that we can sometimes walk into environments or walk home and not actually allow our behavior to reflect what is true. Some of us even know the truth and yet our behavior doesn't reflect it. Some of us don't know the truth and certainly our behavior doesn't reflect it. And so what I'm trying to do this morning is reveal to us some truth that I believe is absolutely life-changing and can affect your life in a positive way for forever. But it is difficult to understand this truth and allow it to actually impact your life. So if you have a Bible, this is a great time to grab it and turn to Luke chapter 2. Uh, last week, we talked about love. That was the word. That was the word that comes up a lot in the season. And we have, regardless of your story and your background and how you walk in here, all you have is evidence that there is a great, all-powerful, holy, righteous, just God. And the only evidence you have is that that God is for you and he loves you. And we have to look no further than the cross to get there. You only have evidence that God loves you infinitely and regardless of your story, that love is never gonna grow and it's never gonna diminish because it was never based on your performance. That is what Christmas is about. That's part of why love comes up. And so we talked about that last week. This week, we're talking about the word peace. We're talking about peace. Uh, the Christmas story is in Luke chapter two, like the classic Christmas story and so we're gonna read in Luke 2, 1 through 15. If you grew up in a Christian environment or around church, or some of you maybe even wake up on Christmas morning, super amped to open presents as a kid, and then like mom or dad pulls out the Bible and wants to read the Christmas story, and you just have to sit through it for a certain amount of time before you can get to the presents, this is probably what they read. So maybe it's the first time you're paying attention, who knows, because there's no presents like directly on the other side of this other than great truth, that's life-changing, amen? Amen, let's read Luke chapter two. Let me start off in verse one. Here's what it says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belongs to the house in line of David. Now, here's, here's our situation. The most powerful person in the Roman Empire decides they wanna take a census. How many people live here? Where are the people? That's what he decides. So he, he decides to get this census, but what's different than it would be today, you don't just register where you're at, you actually travel back to your ancestral roots location and you register there. So for the census to be taken, they can't just say, hey, Joseph and Mary, you live in a town called Nazareth, so make sure you like go to the polls and register there. It's like, no, no, you don't register there. You're from a family that's from Bethlehem, so you now have to travel to Bethlehem with your pregnant wife to get the census taken with you in Bethlehem. That's the situation. So Joseph and his pregnant fiance go to Bethlehem, and here's where it goes, verse five. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Verse six, while they were there, 
The time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. That's gonna be a sentence we're gonna take care of next week. I'll let you guess what the word is for next week. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with an angel praising God and saying, here's the sentence this morning, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. In summary, the arrival of Jesus as a baby is so God would ultimately get glory. This is like, hey, let's get it out on the table. Jesus is here. Just so you know, that's a glory to God decision. But Jesus's arrival comes with some benefits for humanity. And those benefits are peace to humanity. So Jesus doesn't just come for the glory of God. He actually comes bearing gifts, peace being a significant one. This is how it closes, verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, I have an almost two-year-old who's currently in Capital Kids in the hallway, uh, probably yelling and throwing things and having a great time. I'm gonna give you an exhaustive list of his vocabulary, uh, which is, is growing, honestly. Like uh, my, my in-laws are here this week and we were around them for Thanksgiving. And my mother-in-law even said to me yesterday, he seems taller than from Thanksgiving and he's actually communicating more words. He, he's growing fast and he's talking a lot, but this morning, Here's the exhaustive list of the words that he can say. Puppy, mommy, daddy, baby, beep, bubba, which is the name of his bunny. All done, apple, please, okay, hey, night, whoa, light, high, bye, yay, more, and nope. Which nope is one we're navigating uh, as a family, because sometimes people come over and be like, hey, Brooks, want to sit with me? And it's just like, nope. <laughs> it's like, hey, buddy, that's pretty rude. Uh, there, are, there are kinder ways of saying things like this. Uh, pretty limited vocabulary in general. You do have an angelic being that is not limited by a small vocabulary saying of all the words that can be chosen that the arrival of Jesus brings a gift for humanity not limited by vocabulary, not getting a word that's close enough, says what humanity now has is peace. It's peace. That, that's, that's not something where it's like, ah, the best thing I can think of right now is this word, or my vocabulary is a little bit limited in this language, and so I can maybe get to this word. That's not true of the angelic being. Unlimited massive vocabulary expression and yet chooses peace to describe what humanity now has at the birth of Jesus. That's significant. And so let's talk about the word peace. You probably understand it. You know normal definitions like this one. This word can mean the absence of war or conflict. 
but it actually points to something better in its place. It's not just when the fighting stops, you have peace. It's when the fighting stops and relationships are reconciled, now you're actually stepping into peace. Not just the absence, but the replacing of something rich and full. It can also mean to be complete or whole. Something with a lot of complexities that's in a state of completeness and alignment. This word would be used in this particular time to describe a brick that didn't have cracks, uh, it wasn't broken, it didn't have any imperfections. That brick would be at peace. Or a wall that would be built with bricks or stones. There's no stone missing, there's no stone out of place. That wall is healthy and strong, there is no hole. That is a wall that's at peace. Everything's complete, everything's in alignment. Shepherds would often use this word to describe the, the moment where all of their sheep were accounted for. They were in a healthy place. They were safe. They didn't have to look. None were straying. The flock was at peace. Proverbs has used this word. Another book in your Bible that's known for its wisdom describes the reconciled relationships as a relationship that is at peace. It's not that there's no conflict, it's that there's something rich and meaningful in its place. This is peace, and so when life is full of complexities and moving parts, relationships, and situations, when any of these are out of alignment, your peace and my peace breaks down. I don't know that we live in a time where having genuine internal peace is more difficult than right now. Certainly all of us walk into this theater and we could point to things that feel out of alignment. Maybe it's a marriage, uh, maybe it's other relationships, maybe it's your grades in your finals. You've got all of this stress, all of this anxiety, all of this chaos, all of this confusion that leads you to feel out of alignment and not resting in a completeness. Not resting in a place where you feel full and in alignment. If you're here last week, we talked about Jesus and what he was up to before he was born a baby. Jesus didn't start existing when Mary gave birth to him as a human. He was uh, from the beginning as God. And we get a picture of what Jesus was up to in Isaiah 6. We looked at that last week. Isaiah sees and describes what Jesus is up to before he becomes a baby. And then in Isaiah 9, he predicts a coming king that is gonna be the prince of this peace. Like he lives in a time period where kings are often at war, they're in conflict, they're trying to figure things out, they're trying to keep everybody safe, they're trying to keep everybody fed, there's all kinds of chaos that these kings never had peace. And he says, listen, in Isaiah 9, there is a king coming, and I can describe him as the prince of peace, the bringer of this kind of peace. The prince of peace would be one who makes right what is wrong, who heals what is wounded, who will resolve what is unresolved, who will make whole what is incomplete, who will fix what is broken. When Jesus shows up on the scene seven hundred years after the Prince of Peace was predicted to come, when Jesus shows up, it's announced that this is the arrival of peace for humanity. This is him. He's laying, his nose is probably running, He's not potty trained, and this is the bringer of peace for humanity. Here he is. What I want to do for the rest of this morning is take some time to look at that peace 
in a couple different contexts. Now, primarily, I wanna look at it in one context, but we're gonna, we're gonna get there a little bit. Here, here's why I wanna spend the rest of our morning doing this, because I believe that if you walk out of here with access to an internal peace that is not limited and held hostage by your circumstances, that is absolutely life-changing. For regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of the details, regardless of the health and well-being of yourself and anybody around you, you can have a peace internally where things feel aligned, you don't feel stressed, you don't feel anxiety, you are in perfect peace at the coming of Jesus. The problem is it's easier to know that and harder to allow our behavior to be impacted by that special truth, and so that's where we're going for the next 15 minutes or so. Now, we, we have talked for, for weeks about how low of a bar it is to walk in a peaceful relationship with the creator, holy, all-powerful, all-knowing, righteous, and just God that we have. You, that, that, is, that is a tall task. My particular story is one where I always had all the information in the world at how God was holy, and he could see all of the secrets in my life, and he was completely righteous, and he was all-powerful, and he was all-knowing, which led me to feel like there is no chance in the world, messy, broken, making mistakes, thinking all kinds of thoughts, doing all kinds of things in secret. There's no way that person has peace with that type of God. Impossible. Because if that God is who he says he is, he has to be disgusted with me. He's gotta be at least disappointed. He's gotta be mad. He's gotta be all kinds of things and none of those are positive. But when Jesus shows up, what he does is he institutes a peace that I can now be seen in the righteousness of Jesus. Simply because he shows up, exchanges peace for wrath so I can exchange wrath for peace. God actually treats Jesus like us so he can treat us like Jesus. This is the great exchange. That it is actually impossible and unattainable for me to gain peace on my own. The Bible would say that over and over and over. Romans 3 would even say there are no people that are righteous. Like your best attempts at righteousness are filthy rags. Like it's disgusting. Your best attempts at righteousness. It is actually unattainable for you and I to gain peace with a holy, all-powerful, righteous God who's also just. Unless there is one who meets the standard, who doesn't sin, who can't even be accused of sin, who earns himself peace in a restored relationship with that God because he is that God and he is like that God. And yet that person steps forward in wrath because we screwed up and we can step forward in peace because he wore that. That is the peace available and attainable. And so I'm saying it is, it is actually impossible for you to attain, yet Jesus has brought it on such a low level that it is so easy for you to step into peace with God. It's just a yes to Jesus. Like, man, I, I've screwed up. I just want to push that onto your head. Why don't you pay for that and let me walk in freedom? Why don't you suffer for that and let me walk free? That's what Jesus offers all of us. And so when he shows up as a baby and it's announced that this is the coming of peace for humanity, 
that absolutely means that we can have peace in a relationship with God, not because of us, but because of the arrival of peace. And his name is Jesus. That's one context, and I wanna talk about a different context because there, there is a level of peace that we need to walk in in relationship with God that would save us and forgive our brokenness, but even on this side of being a follower of Jesus, having peace, living in a peace, behavior being impacted by the truth of peace is massively difficult to live in, incredibly difficult. If you followed along, even, even in the news or in athletics, there's another mass shooting in Michigan in a school. I remember when I was leading a student ministry, there was the mass shooting in Las Vegas, and there was also some in grocery stores, and there's natural disasters. I remember sitting with students who are now terrified to go anywhere in their world, which, by the way, is still true. You cannot guarantee your safety. You can't guarantee the safety of anybody that you love, anybody that you live around. You constantly live in a flimsy and frail state of security. Your life can be taken in a moment. You could get a bad diagnosis. You could get in a car accident. On and on and on we can go that would just show us that the life we live is constantly full of stresses and anxieties. Is it actually possible to live in this world entering 2022 with all that I have true of my personal circumstances and be in alignment, to feel complete, to feel whole, to feel at peace? Is it possible? Well, I wanna again look to Jesus. Uh, Jesus is born about 30 years later. He's uh, around some guys that are close to him. He calls them his disciples. He's walking forward for a few years with these guys. And there's a particular situation where Jesus often said to this group of guys, hey, just so you know, there's gonna be a moment when I'm gonna be arrested. I'm gonna be beaten. I'm ultimately gonna be killed. Uh, you gotta know that's coming. Don't be surprised by it. That's what's ahead for us. This is a moment in Mark chapter eight if you want to turn there, it's going to be quick. Uh, if you just want to sit there and read, that's great. Mark chapter 8, uh, that situation is happening, and, and, and the response is pretty unexpected. Verse 31, Jesus began to teach this group of guys that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He's saying, hey, very clearly, this is what's going to happen. The religious people are gonna be upset with me. They're gonna arrest me. They're gonna beat me. And I'm ultimately gonna be crucified. You've gotta know that's coming. Verse 32, he spoke plainly about this. He's not, he doesn't have any secrets. And Peter, who's a man close to Jesus, took him aside and began to rebuke him. 33, but when Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. Like, like very significant, you shouldn't be saying that to me. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Here's Jesus's problem with his close friend, Peter. Jesus says, hey, bad things are gonna happen to me. You have to know that. And Peter steps forward thinking he's protecting his friend, saying, man, I love you. I don't want bad things to happen. I want you to live a comfortable life. Uh, man, I want you to step forward and all of this type of blessing. And so don't say things like that. Jesus gets 
very angry with Peter and he, and he describes why. Because Peter is thinking human concerns and Jesus is thinking God's concerns. In other words, Jesus knows there's adversity, there's chaos upcoming for me. There's pain, there's all kinds of trouble. That's what my story's about to be. And Peter tries to say, no, 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 we don't want that for you. Why don't you come over here? And Jesus says, who are you? Who are you to say that human concerns are more important than God's concerns? The peace for Jesus was always found in the fact that he knew the plan and purpose of God for his situation. Every detail, every decision, every person created the ideal environment for God to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish with Jesus. The plan and the purpose was in place. And so Jesus is getting frustrated with Peter to say, what are you doing? There's a plan and a purpose. I'm not worried about my comfort. I'm not worried about getting out of adversity. I'm not worried about weird conversations. There's a plan and a purpose. I'm stepping forward in that. This is where he finds peace. I don't have to control what the creator is controlling. There's a plan and a purpose. I feel in alignment. Let me give you another example. Matthew 26, 47 through 53. Here's what it says. While Jesus was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived with him, a large crowd armed with swords, clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. So this, this, this whole crew ro rolls in, all these soldiers here to arrest Jesus. Verse 48, now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. And the man stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus's companions, who we also find out is this guy, Peter, Peter reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Verse 52, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. I love this next sentence, verse 53. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? That's a way of him saying, do you know that in a snap of my fingers, I can have 72,000 angels here to fight my battle for me in this garden? Do you think I've lost control? The plan and the purpose of God is at play. I don't wanna step out of that. I'm at peace. Put the sword away. There's something greater going on here. I feel like I can resonate, though, with Peter. It's like, man, pain. You're gonna be arrested for crimes you didn't commit. You're gonna be beaten. You're gonna have a disgusting execution. And, and you haven't even made mistakes. I feel like I wanna stand up for that friend. I wanna step in. And Jesus continues to remind this guy, the plan and purpose of God is at play. What are you worried about controlling? Who do you think you are to try and step in and control the situation? The creator is in control. He's writing the story. Put the pen down, allow him to write. Constantly the story of Jesus is him being at perfect peace his entire life through adversity, through confusing situations, through chaos, 
through uh, people gossiping about him, through rumors being spread, through on and on and on we can go. In all of this situation, Jesus is at peace. He's actually born in an environment where culturally it was okay to kill babies that roughly were around the age of Jesus. Imagine living in that governmental system. It's like, ah, there's a baby I'm worried about, so kill them all. This is a chaotic world he steps into, yet's at peace. Why? The plan and the purpose of God is at play. I don't have to try and control things I can't control anyways. Allow the creator to write the story. Now, I, I can say with confidence that I don't know exactly what God's will for your life is. And what I mean by that is like, where are you supposed to live? What job are you supposed to have? What's the career path you're supposed to go on? What's supposed to be for lunch? I don't have those answers. What I do have is an answer regardless of who you are at what is the plan and purpose of God in your life. I can answer that for you. That's, that's the special surprise of the morning. I can answer that question for you. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna answer it. Uh, out of 11,000, or I'm sorry, 1,189 chapters in your Bible, there's almost 1,200 chapters. The book of Romans is likely the most famous, arguably the most famous, and Romans 8 is the most famous chapter of the most famous book in your Bible. One of the most famous verses in there is Romans 8.28. Now, it, maybe this is obvious to you, but I absolutely believe that there could be a sentence written in the Bible that will absolutely change your life. I absolutely believe that that is possible. In fact, I would say that's happened to me over and over and over again. In this verse, Romans 8.28 has absolutely changed my life and led me to peace that Jesus found because I think for the first time I could step in and see what is the plan and purpose of God in my life that can allow me to just rest in peace. Here's what that verse says. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to this, to his purpose. Now, this is a verse that is really easy to toss at somebody with a gentle smile, like, hey, God's got a wonderful plan for your life. Everything's gonna work out to be great. And yet when you're the one in agonizing suffering, there sometimes is not always a silver lining to be found and time doesn't always heal wounds. We had a close family friend who several years ago uh, was a husband and a wife and they had a young boy. The wife was pregnant with their second child, a daughter. The husband left to go to the gym early in the morning. Three men broke into the house. Once he left, they raped and murdered his wife and killing the unborn baby. Just this past week, that trial had been going on for years. Just this last week, it was declared a mistrial. How helpful do you think is it for me to walk to Davy, the husband, the father, toss him a, hey, everything works out for the good. You'll be okay, man. God's got a wonderful plan for your life. Be a worthy response to say, what good? The woman of my dreams 
the one I've committed to, my unborn daughter, gone. Sometimes it's hard to find that silver lining. Sometimes time doesn't heal all those wounds. So what is actually being communicated here in Romans 8.28? I'm going to add a verse to it, which is Romans 8.29. Here's what it says again. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. What is the good? Verse 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The good that is coming for those who follow Jesus is that you will in every, from smallest to biggest detail, from happy to devastating detail, all of that, the good God is working in his plan and purpose in your life is to draw you into the image of Jesus. Because there's richness and there's fullness and there's value in becoming like Jesus. A phrase we say often here is everything that you want at the deepest level of your being is a result of becoming more like Jesus. We're not pushing you to do what the Bible says simply because we want to create religious people who are just going to blindly follow what the Bible has to say for them and call that religious uh, like duty uninterested in that as a church. What I am interested is, is to, to draw you like Jesus into the pathway to life. Like there's actually satisfaction. There's contentment. There's a peace in becoming like Jesus. And so every detail from small to big, from difficult to extremely easy, God is intentionally putting you in the ideal environment for you to be drawn into the image of Jesus. This is the plan and purpose for your life. God has been gracious to you to put you in an environment where you would continue to hear the message of Jesus, to hear about who he is and what he was up to, and put you in an environment where you can continually become like him. Because the end of that road is peace, alignment, calm, free of stress, free of anxiety, free of a desire for control, free of a desire from power, at peace. The plan and purpose of God is the richness of drawing you into the image of Jesus. Now, this is what makes it difficult for us to have that truth and our behavior reflect that truth because sometimes God will bring us to incredibly difficult places. And it's very easy for us to do everything we can to get ourselves out from underneath difficulty. I remember having this conversation when I was in seventh and eighth grade. I thought the MBA was basically the next step for me as an eighth grader. I had a, a coach named Coach Perry, would bring donuts to Saturday morning practice. We'd crush those donuts and then hop right into practice. I didn't play much in seventh and eighth grade. And I, it was devastating for me. Now I'm on this side. It's like there are bigger things than seventh and eighth grade basketball. Uh, at the time, that was my entire world. And I felt like, what, what is happening here? I would feel angry and bitter with Coach Perry. And I remember a conversation I had with my dad. And he said, hey, who do you, who do you think determines your playing time? And I said, Coach Perry, obviously. And he's like, I actually don't agree. 
And I'm like, here goes my dad saying wild bananas things again. And he says, do you think Coach Perry can put you in an environment that God doesn't want? And I knew the answer to that question was no. He said, do you think if God wanted you to start and be the best player in the history of Abington Heights, do you think you would be? And I said, I think so. He said, do you think Coach Perry can actually take you outside the will of God? I knew the answer was no. So then we engaged in a conversation at what is God trying to do in my life? Because Coach Perry has no impact on what God's trying to do. Somebody can't make a decision that pulls me outside of what God's trying to do. The only person who can remove myself from the will of God is myself. I'm the only one who can get myself out of the will of God. So every single detail, your coworker who's frustrating, uh, when stuff starts breaking down in your car, your house that is now leaking from the pipes, the, the health that's uncontrollable in you or a family member, all of this is God allowing you to have what boiling to the surface is what needs to be lapped off and conformed into the image of Jesus. I just had a conversation this week of some unhealth that I feel like I can see in this particular person. And I said, man, the, the situation of the semester did not create unhealth in you. The situation of the semester revealed the unhealth that was already there. You just have a gracious gift that God gave you difficulty so that you would see what you've never seen before. That you have some unhealth and God's given you a situation and a circumstance that allows you to see it and deal with it. So on the other side, you're more like Jesus and can rest in peace. The arrival of Jesus at Christmas is the coming of peace. The King of peace is here. He found peace because he understood the plan and the purpose of God for his life and he would never allow himself to deviate from that. There's a plan and a purpose and I have perfect alignment in that. And what's true of you and for me is God is doing things in your life right now to expose you to the person and the message of Jesus and then to allow you to become like him. Rest in the perfect plan and purpose of God. Give him the pen. Let him write the story. Let him control what you can't control anyways. Be at peace. Jesus is here. And that's worthy of celebration. Let me, let me pray for us. God, it would be easy for, for us to be afraid at giving you full control. Like the thought of giving the pen, of writing my story over to you can be, can be nerve-wracking. It can feel risky. It can feel like a little bit too much. But I ask that what you do in my heart and what you do in our church is you continue to overwhelm us with the facts of how much you love us and how much you're for us and how much you're only gonna lead us into good gifts whether it feels like that or not. God, it's likely that many in the room walk in here not feeling at peace for all kinds of different reasons. I ask that this morning the message of Jesus and the peace of Jesus would overcome us as a people, that we would see your plan and your purpose and we would feel like that's enough. That's enough for me. I want you to control things. I want you to lead this situation. God, would you do that in me? Would you do that in our church? Would we worship you rightly for who you are? And it's in Jesus' name we pray.